may be wondering where have I found myself this morning. Well, we, we like to think of our church not so much as a gathering space, right? Obviously, this dance studio is not what we consider our church, but we consider ourselves to be the church. The people of God, saved by the power of God, and sent with the purposes of God. And whether that finds us under a tree out in the field, or in a house, in a dance studio, as we come together as God's people in Christ, we are His people. And so our vision for the church, which comes from Matthew chapter 9, is just that we would be the people of God around the tables that we find ourselves in in every day life. In Matthew chapter 9, we see Jesus calls Matthew to follow him, this tax collector, this sinner, and then he goes and they throw a party in his house, and they all gather around his table and they feast. We see Jesus at the center, his disciples, his followers there with him, and then a bunch of people who don't really know what's going on. People who've been written off by the religious world or people who themselves have written off anything that could be considered to be associated with the kingdom of God. And so that's our goal this morning. And so if you're here, we want you to know you're welcome. You're welcome wherever you are. You're welcome with your doubts. You're welcome with your unbelief. You're welcome in your sin. You're welcome in your suffering. We're all a bunch of people here who are very imperfect. It starts with this pastor. Just ask my wife. And so, or anybody that knows me. Very needy. And so we find ourselves a needy people and yet finding a Savior who is enough. We're going to see that again this morning from Ephesians chapter 2. So let's hear the word of the Lord. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with Him, and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages He might show the immeasurable riches of His grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Father, we ask you now that through your Holy Spirit, you would open our eyes, open our hearts to see the truth of your word. We pray, God, that what is true would just penetrate us, convict us, comfort us, challenge us, however we need to hear it. What is not true would just fall to the ground. But we pray above all that you would give us hope through your risen Son. We pray above all that you would help us to be honest about where we are so that we can experience your truth for the reality that it is. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. When Easter comes, so comes with it pictures. Some of you in here are probably going to have to take a lot of pictures today. Some of you in here are going to force other people to have their picture made today. Some of you are going to resist getting your picture made today. 
And then we're going to post these pictures probably on social media, or we're going to hang them on our walls, and it's going to look like we're, we all really have it together. But we know the reality behind so many of these picture-taking occasions. If you don't know the reality, then let me let you into it a little bit, especially maybe if you don't have children yet. So first off, you're usually running behind to wherever you're supposed to go to get the picture made, right? Or you're trying to get everybody there at the same time. Again, some people are resisting this, some people are rejecting it, some people are thinking, you're going to make me miserable, so I'm going to make you miserable, So everybody's conspiring against one another, it feels like, in this. And you know, the person in charge of it just wants to make everybody happy, of course. And then you realize, well, I've got to go to the bathroom, right? Or somebody does. And you can tell all your kids, we're all going to go to the bathroom at once. That doesn't matter. So get yourself prepared for this, right? By some sort of miracle, all of a sudden, everyone's going to have to use the bathroom, but none of it's going to be at the same time. Right? Then somebody's going to spill something on themselves that you paid a lot of money for and spent a lot of time ironing, or they're going to tuck in what doesn't need to be tucked in. They're going to wrinkle what doesn't need to be wrinkled or get a stain on it. And then you're going to have to do hair. And what doing hair inevitably leads to is probably mom's going to be beating somebody with a brush. Right? If you're honest. This is going to happen. And then the parents are going to get into a fight over parenting technique and style. And so what was a great idea, this picture that you want to take, is going to end in some sort of near divorce or call to department, family, and children's services. And then you're going to say, you're going to smile whether you like it or not, right? And we're going to have a nice Easter. And we're going to have a nice picture. And then you have it, right? And then you post it. And then you hang it on the wall, and then what is everybody doing? People are scrolling up, man, I wish our family had it together like theirs did. They're all just so beautiful. You know, wouldn't it be nice if we had that? You're going to go to their house. You're going to go and see the picture that my mother-in-law had us do a few years ago with all these nice pink and whatever color blue shirts, right? And and you're going to see me without a beard, and you're going to think, man, isn't that just so pretty. Wouldn't it be nice if we just all had it together like they did? You know, that's probably what a lot of us or a lot of people in the world, if we're honest, whether believer or unbeliever, think about what it means to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus as a Christian, is you know what? It's just everybody forget all the brokenness in the world, forget all the problems, and let's just kind of fake like everything is okay today. And, you know, we're, we're looking on at it and we're saying, man, how do, either Easter is I have to live in denial or depression. We can view it as just this sort of sentimental time for dress up or sort of fake it till we make it to get through the day. But the reality of Easter is that the resurrection of Jesus comes in the backdrop of a cursed and broken world of the Son of God that has just been crucified, stripped naked, hung on a cross, mocked, and humiliated for nothing other than bringing the love of God into people's lives. The resurrection is anything but a sentimental religious idea. 
The resurrection of Jesus is more like a declaration of war of a flag that has been planted in the ground that God is doing a work of reclaiming and restoring all that is broken in the world. If the resurrection is anything, it is not denial. If the resurrection of anything, it is not a religious dress-up session. The resurrection is the power of God displayed in a world that needs resurrection. The resurrection is good news we're going to see through Ephesians this morning for the broken, for the burnout, and for the bored. We're not going to cross every, cross every I is what I was going to say, cross every I and dot every T this morning. I'll just go ahead and say I was going to say it wrong on these verses, but we're going to see this good news, that the resurrection is good news for the broken, the burnout, and the bored. The first thing we see is it's good news for the broken. So what do we mean by being broken? Some of you here this morning may be like this. You just have this sort of fundamental voice in your head that's saying, I am wrong. You have this voice of shame that is saying, what is wrong with me? What is wrong with me? You may think the resurrection may be for people who have it together, but I don't. I don't. What we see in Ephesians here is that no one has it together. Nobody has it together apart from God's grace. Regardless of how much we want to deny it or dress it up. No, in verse 1 we see here that apart from God's grace, we're all dead. We're dead. As I believe Jerry Clower said it. We're graveyard dead. Right? We're not kind of dead. We are, we're a corpse. A walking corpse. Following the prince of the power of the air. Sort of just sort of these living zombie-like people. Whether you display that through your rebellion against God or through your religion. You see, a lot of us, we don't do this just through rebellion. We do it through religion. But we're like the Pharisees. And what does Jesus say to the Pharisees that just underlines this? He says, you know what you are? You're whitewashed tombs. You are really pretty corpses. That can make yourself look good by dotting all your I's and crossing all your T's. Thank you. By, by showing up anything that happens at any church event and saying all the right things, looking the right way. But guess what? You're just as dead as the prostitute, apart from my grace. You're just as dead as the drug addict. You're no better. You may can fake it, but you're not. Also in verses 2 and 3, we see that we, not only do we think we're basically alive, but we're actually dead, is that we think we sort of like kind of you know, life is all about if I do the right things, I receive a reward. When actually what we see that even when we do the right things from the wrong heart, all we deserve is God's judgment. He says here that we are children of wrath and notice like the rest of mankind. There are no exceptions. Apart from God's grace, we're all in this broken state. Now, some of us, again, might can dress it up better, right? You might have money to make your corpse prettier. Right? You might can put better makeup on the pig. But it is what it is. We're broken. 
Something that's broken doesn't operate by design. It's like if you had a, one of those robot vacuum cleaners, right, that's supposed to know where the edge is and turn, and it just runs off the edge every time. It's broken, right? It's not how God designed it to be, but this is where we find ourselves. But we don't pray now and go home. We go to verse 4. And the kids might laugh, so God, they're not in here. But I got, I got you two words that you can take home with you this Easter. But God. I'm dead, but God. I'm broken. I feel all this shame, but God. And but God what? Sometimes we think out loud here. Because we need to hear more than my voice, that's for sure. So let's, but God what? So we ask some questions sometimes. One of these questions is, who is God? So verse 4, who is God? What do we learn about who God is? What He's like? He's merciful. He's merciful. What else? He's full of love. Notice here, he's rich in mercy. He's rich in it. He's wealthy. He's got more mercy than you could ever spend. He's got enough mercy and grace to cover whatever debts that you've ran up in your life and your sin and shame. He's the one who's got enough grace to cover it all. He's great in love. He doesn't just love you. You know, some of you may think, well, God loves me, blah, blah, blah. He's got to love everybody. No, he's great in love. You could say it this way if it helps you. He doesn't just love you. He likes you. You ever thought about that? He doesn't just love you. He actually likes you. For those of you who love sounds like an empty word. He wants you. So what has God done? Verse 5. Help me out here. What has God done? What did God do? He made us alive. What else? He saved us. Now let's think about this. When did he make us alive? Yeah. Yeah, it's both of those, right? He made us alive when we were dead, and he made us alive through his death. Now, this is, this is big. Don't miss this. He didn't make you alive when you had it all together. He didn't say, all right, you get your act cleaned up, and then I'll do my part. No, he made you alive when you were dead. He looks at you as that corpse, the pig with the makeup on. I'm not saying that to demean you. I'm saying this actually to lift you up, right? And he said, I see you for what you are. I see that hidden you. You don't want anybody else to know that makes that video play in your head. What's wrong with me? You're wrong. And he says, I want you. He said, I'm going to give you life. I'm going to raise you up. I'm going to save you. I'm going to rescue you by my grace. And this is the gospel this morning. 
That God looked down upon a, a sinful humanity, not just generally, but looked down and saw us in all of our brokenness, and all of our guilt, and all of our shame, and all of our fear, and He says, I could just walk away from this thing and wash my hands, and it would be a whole lot easier. And He said, no, I love them. I'm going after them. And the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit covenanted together to go rescue a people to the praise of God's glorious grace. And the Son of God became a man and He lived a life in every way that we live, was tempted in every way that we're tempted, and yet He was without sin in our place. So where we were broken, He came and He lived it right for us. Where we didn't have it together, He came and He was the one who had it together for us. And then He went to a cross. And all of that debt that we owed for our sin, the wages of sin, the Bible says it. He said, Father, pour it all out on me. Pour it all out on me. All of that stuff I'm ashamed of. All of that stuff that if we were to get up and share in here today, we'd just say, whoa, I don't think I want to talk to that person anymore. Jesus said, put it all on me. And he bore it. He bore the judgment of God in our place. He didn't do it because he had to. He did it because he wanted to. That's grace. That he didn't remain dead. And that's what we're celebrating this morning. Is it's not just that you were saved from the penalty of sin so that we can all come in here this morning and say, well, that wasn't that nice. Jesus loved us and Jesus died for us. Man, it's great to know somebody would be willing to die for me. No, we were not merely saved from, the penal from something. We were saved for something. What were we saved for? To be the beloved children of God. That's what he's saying. With the great love with which he loved us, he didn't save you and say, well, man, glad I got that over with. Now I can get away from those people. No, he saved you to be with you. And so what will we do forever? We will marvel in the measurable riches of his grace. Who is God rich in grace, great in love? What has He done? He loved us while we were yet sinners. He saved us through the work of Christ. So who are we? Verse 6. Help me out again. We're seated with Him in the heavenly places. And before that, who are we? We're raised with Him. How you talk to yourself is powerful. Everybody in here talks to yourself. You're not crazy if you do that. You got the voices in your head. You got the tapes playing in there. And Jesus is here to tell you it's time we change the script. It's time we change the story. Who am I? I am raised with Christ. That's who I am, Satan. That's who I am, sin. That's who I am, world. I am raised with Christ. Where am I? This earthly circumstance and situation, even if I got myself into it, whatever it is, it doesn't define who I am because where I am is I am seated with Christ in the heavenly places. 
You want to talk about a game changer? If this is how you view who you are and where you are, wherever you go, your life will begin to be transformed. This is who I am. It doesn't, y'all can go say, man, that sermon was lame. And everything about it was boring. And you know what? It's not going to change this. Whatever your spouse can say about you, your coworkers can say about you, your children can say about you, your parents can say about you, whoever, it's not going to change this. And once we get freed up in who we are in Christ, now I can love people no matter how they treat me. This is good news to clarify for the broken. My brother, for several years now, has, has had what he said were these sort of like uncomfortable physical feelings. So he would say, man, I just feel like my skin's kind of tingling. And this is Jess, for those who know my family. And he would say, I just, I just feel so awkward. And so after a while, we, he'd go to the doctor, and the doctors would say, you know, nothing's showing up that it's wrong with you. And so he starts to think, well, maybe I'm just crazy. And he had, had a lot of stuff go on in his life that was hard, and so we all just sort of thought, well, yeah, he's probably having just some sort of super mental psychological issues which would have been fine. So this goes on for years, and it just continues to get worse, but there's like no proof. It's just like he's feeling this way. And over the last uh, several months, his leg is, it started to like begin to go down, and he'd say he'd feel it in his leg. And you know, and everybody's just sort of thinking like, you know, oh, Jess, you know. Well, he went to the doctor a few weeks ago again, and, he, and guess what he was told? He doesn't know when, but some 10 to 20 years ago, he broke his back. And he was so excited. (laughs) He was so excited. I'm broke. I'm not crazy. (laughs) And we're all excited. You got a broke back. You see, sometimes the bad news even has the good news in it. There's good news for you this morning. You're not crazy. You're just needy of God's grace. And we're all like that. And God is here through Ephesians 2 to just give you a divine x-ray and to show you that it's okay to not be okay. It's okay to not have it all together. But because of the resurrection, you don't have to let that define you, and you don't have to stay that way. One person says this, the gospel is this, we are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe. Yet at the same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. Another person says, God loves you as you are in Christ, not as you feel like you should be in yourself. Isn't that good news? God loves you as you are, not as you should be. He's loved you when you were dead. You're not going to do anything worse now. 
It's good news for the broken, but also for the burnout. I'll move a little quick, quicker on, the, on these next two. That lays the foundation for the burnout. What do we mean by the burnout? So if those who are broken are saying, I am wrong. What's wrong with me? The burnout are saying, I can't do nothing right. I can't ever do enough. All that I do just isn't good enough. The resurrection's for the burnt out. First off, the burnout, we, we somehow got trapped in our heads defining ourselves by what we do instead of who we are. The logic of the gospel flips that on its head. Who, you're not defined by what you do, but by who you are. If you get that mixed up, and we get that mixed up in Christianity probably as much as the world does. And that's when we get burnt out. But the gospel tells us it's by grace we have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. It's saying from the very beginning, it's not about what you do. Your faith isn't even primarily about what you do. Even your faith's a gift from God. Verse 9. It's not a result of works so that no one may boast. We, we, tend to get, we tend to think before we're Christians and then it just flows over somehow into after we're Christians that now I've got to compete as a Christian. It becomes this some type of competition. Who can do church better? Who can do this better? Who can be a better Christian? And then we're all comparing each other. And we're all competing. And you know what? After a while, it just drains you. And either you do one or two things that this city's full of and may be full of in your heart. It's been in mine. Is you're either saying, I quit. I can't do it no more. I can't do the whole Christian competition deal. So I'm going to the house. See you later. Or you just become the ultimate Pharisee that sits in your pew and makes sure everybody else keeps all the rules. But the good news is Jesus wants to free us from that. And that's not a one-time thing. That's a whole life journey. I heard a story once of a person who died. They were caught in a... Uh, I, could, I couldn't find the article again, so I'll do my best. They were near a dam or some sort of water, uh, water source. Had a, like a whirlpool going. And they had fell in and they got stuck in this like whirlpool that was spinning around. And they just kept fighting it, fighting it, trying to swim out. And as they struggled and struggled and fought that and fought, it finally it just kept like banging them up, I believe, against like this, this damn wall, and it killed them. And later they found out that if this person would have just like quit struggling, it would have sucked them under and spat them out other on the other side. And they would have lived. But just the impulse, right, is this survival, right? Is I've got to do better. I've got to try harder. I've got to exert more energy and more pressure. And what Jesus is saying to us this morning is, stop it. <laughs> right? Following me is not about you doing better and trying harder. It's about you trusting me. 
Now, the thing about letting go of your control, even of your Christian life, is that's scarier. Because what Jesus is asking for here is saying, following me is not mainly about rules to be kept, but it's about a relationship of joy to be found. Say that again, the religious South needs to hear that. Christianity is not primarily about rules to be kept, but it's about a joy of a relationship to be found. This is why this is not like easy, cheap grace talk. It's much easier for you to have a list of rules you can check off than it is for you to say, Jesus, I surrender my life to you. I trust you. I don't know where letting go of all this and trusting you is going to shoot me out. (laughs) But here we go. It's not going to be about me anymore and what I do or how I compare to other people or how I can fare in this crazy, messed up Christian culture that I find myself in. It's about you. It's about believing Hey, I don't have the power to fight this. But you, through your death, if I will die with you, I will come out alive. That those who lose their life are those who gain it. That those who die are those who live. Oh, how we need to hear this in the church today, in our culture. Cities around here are filled with people just burn out on church. We're just burn out. They've been told that you're saved. They've been told, right, we're saved by faith alone. But they've been taught something different when it comes to the life of following Christ. One person said it this way. He calls it the sad alumni of the Christian faith. We're a part of the church and then just said, can't do it no more. He says, they do what is really a sane thing to do. They leave. There's no condemnation here, right? Sometimes it's like, makes sense. The way it looks to them is that the message of Christianity has broken them on the rack. To put it bluntly, it feels better to have some earthly happiness as a pagan and then be damned than it feels to be trying every day as a Christian to do something that is one continuous failure and then be damned in. You don't, if, you, if you've never felt that, there's a lot of people around here who feel that. I'm going to say it again. He, sa- he says this, to put it bluntly, it feels better to have some earthly happiness as a pagan and then be damned, if it is real, than it feels to, than it feels to be trying every day as a Christian to do something that is one continuous failure and then be damned anyway. So the key question, he says here, is a very basic one. Can the cross and blood of Christ save a Christian failing as he is in the Christian life or not. Most of us would say that the shed blood of Christ is sufficient to save a sinner by itself, so far so good, but is the blood of Christ enough all by itself to save a Christian who still sins a lot? Can Christ's righteousness counted for the sinner, counted for the still sinful Christian be enough? Can the work of Christ save a Christian all by itself, or does it have to be Jesus' work plus your work? That's what this is really getting down to. 
the way we answer that question reveals how we understand the gospel and why so many people have just given up on the church. What the sad alumni, he says, need to hear, perhaps for the first time, is that Christian failures are going to walk into heaven. They're going to be welcomed into heaven. They're going to leap into heaven like a calf leaping out of its stall, laughing and laughing as if it's too good to be true. Because it isn't just that failures will get in, it's that we're going to get in like that. You mean it was really just Jesus' death for me that did it all? Will it turn out in the end that it wasn't Jesus' work plus my work? The good news is, yes. That's the whole point. As a believer, as one who has trusted Jesus, as one who has said, I'm letting go of my deadly doing and resting in you and letting you be the one who leads my life. You are never going to be condemned. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Your Christian comparison and competition may condemn your heart. That's not the Spirit. When the Spirit convicts us, He leads us to Christ. It's also good news for the board. Verse 10. Resurrection is good news for the broken, good news for the burnout, but also for the board. So we enter this relationship, and now what? Verse 10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in him. What it's saying here is we're not our own product. We are His workmanship. We've been fashioned for a purpose. We've not just been created so God could save us. Don't don't misunderstand me there. It's not like He's playing some kind of game, right? Let's just mess everything up and then me save people. And, you know, wow, wasn't that nice at a lot of expense of their pain and torture? No, we're His workmanship. We've been created in Him for a purpose, for good works. We've been given this unchangeable, untouchable, matchless worth in Christ that is now to be worked out in this world for the good of one another and the glory of God. Some of us may think we've been just saved to sit. Saved to attend a Sunday gathering. Save to, I mean, we just get sucked back into that law vortex, don't we? I'm going to save now. Now I just, I'm saved to keep these rules, right? Go listen, sit in a chair and listen to somebody talk. That's boring. If this was all there was to following Jesus, I would go home. I'm not that interesting of a communicator. There's better things to do. There's better movies to watch, right? If I just want to be have an entertainment. Better concerts to go to. No offense, right? I love our music. But if it's just about being saved to sit, no wonder most people are at home, right? 
No, we're not only saved by the power of the gospel, we're saved for the purposes of the gospel. That we would walk in them. See if you have the power of the gospel without the purpose of the gospel, then we end up bored. Unless you just like to study doctrine and theology. Some of you do, right? You'll bore everybody else, right? If that's all you want to do, sit around and debate stuff. So you might not be bored. Everybody else is going to be like, oh my goodness, here we go. But, and I like to do that too, so I say that, I don't say that being mean. I'm just saying there's got to be more. There's more than that. Not that there has to be. There is more. But, if it's only the purpose of the gospel without the power of the gospel, then we're back to burn out. You see that? These are, these are two sides of the same coin. We have to have the power of the gospel or you'll go out, I'm going to go change the world. right? And the world's going to say, you know, right? the world's going to be like, no, you're not. That's how the world works, right? This is reality. And if you've not felt that, that's what you're going to get hit with. I'm going to go win all my coworkers to Christ. Your coworkers are going to say, quit annoying us. And God's going to work and save some of them. You're going to go say, well, I'm going to go start leading my family in family devotional. I want you to go do that, but that's going to be really hard, just so you know. I'm going to start praying with my spouse and my roommates. Just get ready for the most intense spiritual warfare you've ever experienced in your life. The power of the gospel says, again, this isn't about me getting their approval. This isn't about me having their affirmation. This is about me just living out of what Christ has done for me and who He's made me. So when the purposes of the gospel and the power of the gospel come together, now we can actually live this thing out without getting burnt out. We can actually live this thing out without being feeling more broken than we were to start with. It's as if in World War II we have D-Day, right? Storm the beaches of Normandy. And on D-Day, the reason we call it D-Day is, I know there's better explanations than this, but what's the actual word for the D? Do y'all remember? What? Who's smart? I don't know, maybe. I don't think so. Declaration. Well, anyway, here's the main point of it. Cole probably knows. Is this is this is this is the day that we win, right? This is this is the day when it gets started. Now, was the war over though? No, it wasn't over, but it was over. Does that make sense? Because there's another day coming, V Day, right? Victory Day. There's D-Day and there's V-Day. Now, what has to happen in between D-Day and V-Day? We got to fight. We got to fight. Right? The victory is ours. But there's hills we got to take. There's outposts that, we gotta, that we've got to conquer. There's ground that's got to be claimed for the sake of the mission. And this is where we're at in this story. Jesus has not saved us to let us just sit. Jesus has not said, go get lawn chairs and put them out on your front yard and wait for me to come back. Right? No, He's given us work to do. Not to prove ourselves, but to love Him and to love one another. 
to realize that Jesus has not just came to change our Sundays, but our every day. This is good news. You may be sitting here this morning thinking, does, does this apply to me? And the good news is, is, this good news is for you. The resurrection is for you. As we think about these family photo times and how crazy they can be, we, we may be engaging in denial and we may be feeling like we've got to fake it till we make it. And you know, sometimes you do. But the good news is, is there's someone in all those pictures that we can't see. And Jesus is with us in the darkest times. But he's not overwhelmed by it like we are. He is alive. He is victorious. The darkness doesn't win. Because the resurrection is good news for the broken, the burnout, 